Good morning, everyone. It is great. I'm still recovering from that holy forever. That was awesome. I, I enjoyed that so much. How many of you grew up and you would say maybe like a Christian family where you were read um, Bible stories going to bed? How many? How many? Yep, yep, yep. So, okay. So some of you are like, no, no I'm just kind of getting into this whole uh, church thing, religiousness versus relationship. I'm working through it, Chris. But some of us grew up in, in, in families where we had Bible stories read to us from books that looked like this. And they were precious to us. And I was one of them, okay? I grew up in a little row home in Percocet. And at bedtime, I'd read stories. And I, and I grew up in the family of an artist, an illustrator, as well as a storyteller. And so my Bible stories were, frankly, better than the ones you heard. Mine were better. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember my dad like adding to Scripture at times. He would say things like, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. And I... It wasn't until I, I went to seminary, I realized there is no too bad we go. It's, it's, it's not that. But, but I, I remember reading these stories and some of them just really impacted me more than others. Because like there were certain ones and, and I don't know if it was God working on my life already in, in some sort of way, but I can remember some stories specifically that, that jumped out. And, and you know one, I mean, this one's gonna be like, like you'd open it up and read the story of a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Who am I talking about, kids? Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And I would read about this guy and be like, wow, he climbed up in a tree. I love climbing trees. And he climbed up in a tree and Jesus was coming with this big crowd and Jesus came up to the tree that he was in. And he stopped and looked and he said something that I'll never forget. He said what? Ready? His name. Imagine if you saw somebody come and walk into a city that you have never met and who has never laid eyes on you and thousands of people are pressing around them and they stop, look at you and go, Chris, oh, I struggle to remember people's name in my family Jesus doesn't forget names, especially those he's calling. And I remember even thinking at a young age, maybe Jesus will see me and want to call me to do something for him. Oh, and there was another story. I always remember, loved reading about David, how he would kill bears and lions and King David. But I remember a certain story. It really spoke to my heart. If you remember the story where a prophet came into town, and he came up to David's dad, Jesse, and he said, one of your sons is going to be anointed king. And he had a, a cup of oil, a horn of oil, and, and he was ready to do this. And the prophet said, bring me your sons. And Jesse got all his sons together except David. Imagine that. Hey, guys. Hey, guys, there's a prophet. He's going to call you. Everybody here. And you're left on the hillside playing his harp, watching over the sheep, whatever it was. And, and I remember reading this story going, oh man, how come dad didn't call down David? And so the prophet went through the boys and he looked at the first one and he thought, oh, this must be him, scripture says. And God said, no, no, God doesn't look on the appearance. Keep going. That stuck with me. God doesn't look on the appearance. Keep going. So God's far more interested inside of me than he is on the exide of me. 
And, and he went down the whole row and the prophet stopped, turned to Jesse and go, do you have any more sons? This doesn't make sense. I'm here for the call of God and I don't have the call yet. And, and Jesse goes, oh yeah, yeah, we do got one more. He's up on the hill tending sheep. Can't be him, right? You ever feel like you're in a moment in your life where just the call of God's not coming? You're maybe on the hillside. Jesse calls for him. He comes down and the prophet anoints him king for that is who, or the coming king, for that is who God would use. Oh, and then there was one story specifically and I, and I loved, I loved them, but it always stuck out to me. It, I, maybe it was because it was at nighttime, but there was a little boy who came as a gift to a mother who could not have children and she prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally, God heard her prayer. He had heard it the whole time. He answered it in his timing. And upon answering it, she was given a son. And she was so thankful to God that she dedicated him to the Lord and he would grow up in the temple. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Little Samuel. And Samuel served in the temple alongside the priest, Eli. And what was interesting is one night, Samuel goes to bed and he hears Samuel. And he gets up, he goes, I hear you. And he goes running into Eli, he goes, I'm here. And Eli goes, I didn't say anything to you, go back to bed. He goes back to bed, Samuel, I'm here, I heard you. And he comes back and Eli goes, I'm not talking. Goes back again. Samuel, he comes, I'm here, am I, what? And Eli says, Oh, this must be God. Go back, go back. And when you hear it again, I want you to say, speak for your servant hears. So Samuel went back. And I remember just wanting to turn to the next page. What happened? What happened? What happened? And God spoke and his message was earth shattering. It was a message that I remember, I couldn't even believe the message. As I've grown in my life and knowledge of scripture, I still struggle with what Samuel had to do, but love the call that Samuel had on his life. And I don't know about you, but I noticed there was something, three things here that I noticed about each one of these stories. There's something that all three have in common. You know what that is? They were all the calls of God. Young people, those are phones. That's what they used to look like. Sometimes you'd have to press them. You had to even go into booths. We had these things called booths at gas stations and you'd go in them and, and you'd press them. And sometimes you, when you made a call, especially at Christmas or Thanksgiving, you, you would sometimes do what was called a collect call, which meant when you hit it, the person on the other end had to agree to pay for the charges for the call. Sometimes they did it. That's if you knew if you were coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And so when we hear call, we think of phones. But in scripture, the call of God is those moments in a child of God's life or in an unbeliever's life when he is ready to get their attention that God says, I wanna to talk to you and use you for a specific purpose. And every child of God longs for those opportunities when Jesus says, hey, I want to use you for this. People pray for these things. In fact, some people even spiral when they feel like the call's not coming. 
oh, I wanted a call and it just never came. I was going to write that. I was going to do that. I was going to speak that. I was going to do this, but the call is never coming. And they almost live in this frustration about whether the call will come because they want to do the will of God. They want to do the will of God so bad. I want to do the will of God, but the will of God for me just never seems to work out. And there's a confusion at sometimes, even within children of God going, is this the call of God on my life? What is the call of God on my life? What's God's will for me? I just desperately want to know God's will. I can't tell you how many conversations have started with people who simply say, I just want to know the will of God for me. Well, oftentimes, we confuse the call of God with the will of God. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to investigate scripture as to what the call of God looks like. What are its characters? How can I know if this is God? Because there's lots of people going around now, even online, will say, God told me to say this, or God told me to do this. If that's true, should we be listening to that? Is that is the equality of, of the sovereign word of God? I mean, if someone's telling me God told me something, shouldn't I get out a pen and write it here, right? At the end of Revelation, we got to add to the pages. Or has God given us everything we need for life and godliness? We've been given everything in the scripture and his call is very clear and it hasn't changed. We live in a time period where people will leverage different platforms to say what you should be doing and where you should be standing and how you should be doing it. But I'm pretty sure Jesus gave me a call. It's called the Great Commission and it's go therefore and make disciples and anything beyond that might be what your agenda wants me to do, but he's been very clear in my life. So this can be confusing at times. What are you calling me to do, God? What is your will for me? That's why I love our text today. For Jesus as someone he's gonna call. And we're gonna learn from that call and we're gonna learn from scripture what it looks like so we can spot it when it comes. I spent a few years working at a bank out of college and they taught everyone how to understand what money felt like. And so we'd count it and count it and count it and count it. And then they would, in our testing, slip in a counterfeit bill. And you wouldn't believe it. You'd be counting along and you'd go, wait, whoa, 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 what was that? That felt different. The idea was you knew the real thing so well that you could spot a counterfeit like that. And that's what we want from scripture today, church. We want to know what the call of God looks like. What are its characteristics so that we can spot when it is the call of God. We can also spot when it's a counterfeit call. And so we're going to call our sermon today, Call Him. It's the last sermon in part two of our Mark series. I trust it's been a joy for you studying it, not only in the micro, but in the macro. And we're going to finish this section before our Christmas series that I'm excited to, to have a message next week that's going to launch us into where we're going to go for that series. We're going to use this today to really get our hands around what Mark was trying to do in his gospel as we conclude this section of our three-part series. We'll call it, call him, it's chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Heavenly Father, use your word today to inspire us, encourage us, to spur us on to love and good works. Lord, I pray that you would remove all distraction in this place and even online so we might hear from you today and that we might grasp what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would humble all our hearts to receive the word of God. And Lord, I pray that we would be listening for what you have for us and that none of us would leave here the same 
because we prioritize this morning the sitting under the word of God from this sacred text and from this awesome gospel, the gospel of Mark. So Lord, we give you this time and Lord, we give you this platform. In Jesus' name we pray and all renewed Bible said. And they came to Jericho. Oh, what a famous name, Jericho. And they came. Now, Jesus has been doing a lot of walking. If you were here with us last week, he was walking towards Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to be tortured, mocked, spit on, whipped, and killed. And this was his walk. And the disciples saw the resolution of his walk that was so furious, it says that they were amazed. They were amazed at him. There was no stalling. Hey, what do you think? You want to stop somewhere, get something to eat? I mean, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. Just walk towards it. And they were amazed by it. But they made him stop. Do you remember why he had to stop? A little discussion occurred. Two disciples came up with their mom. And they said, Jesus, we want to ask you of something. And he turns to them. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Let us sit at your right hand and your left hand in your coming kingdom. And the disciples heard it and they were indignant. They were angry. Are you kidding me? We're still talking about who's going to be the greatest? Oh, James and John, this is disgusting. And there's conflict amongst the disciples. And Jesus calls them all together. He goes, guys, you want to be the greatest? Yeah, we all kind of do. Then here's how to do it. Be a servant of all. What? Be a servant of all. See, this world's gonna tell you to climb, 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 but at the top, all you do is fall. What I want you to do is surrender and sacrifice, even suffer if that's what it takes. For that's what greatness is in the kingdom of God. And they begin to walk again. And scripture says, they came to Jericho. But they must have not stayed there long, church, because the next line says, and as he was leaving Jericho. Right, right, what? I mean, what if it, you know, and Chris came into Perkasy, and as he was leaving Perkasy, what did you do anything? I mean, Jesus is in, and he's on his way. And there's a great crowd following him. And, and, and scripture says, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And all my Aramaic scholars said, oh, did you see that, Chris? I said, yeah, I did see it, actually. Bar means, in Aramaic, son of. And so the name Bar, or son of, means son of Bar Timaeus. And so there's a little bit of redundancy here. Do you see this? Bartimaeus, or son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. It seems that there is something Mark wants us to really focus on when it comes to this name. He's mentioned, therefore, he must have been a fixture in Jericho. People must have known about Bartimaeus for him to be mentioned. And it seems that Mark has a point here because he's put all his focus on Bartimaeus. Timaeus, because I looked at the rest of the gospels. Those who study scripture more intently call it the harmony of the gospels. Now, if I were to tell you, hey, I'm gonna have four uh, guys come up here, gospel quartet, and they're gonna harmonize together. 
you would understand what they're trying to do is have all their voices play a different role in making one beautiful sound. And so when you see the gospel accounts, the goal is to find the harmony in them. And many sometimes take it and say, I see conflicting accounts, but they all harmonize together. And certain gospel writers focus on one element more than another. For example, it's recorded in two other passages and the details are very much there of this blind man in Jericho. In Luke, he says, as he drew near Jericho. In Matthew, he says, and as they went out of Jericho. And was he coming in or going out? Was it both? Is it possibly to Jericho? Some of you stand back and go, whoa, what? Well, geographically, there was ancient Jericho where Joshua walked around. And then about a mile and a half south was where Herod built a second Jericho or a New Testament Jericho and what was often referred to like a, a beautiful oasis. And so sometimes is the confusion that there were two Jerichos or is this all in a very similar area? And so we can decipher it and work through it and plot through it. But I want you to note that the point Mark had was to bring up Bartimaeus. Why? Because Mark leverages the blind men accounts, because Jesus healed multiple blind men, to set transitions in the gospel of Mark. If you've been with us through our series, I've asked you to sometimes look at this on the macro level. It's a three-part series. The first part, we saw Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. We learned about Jesus. He called the disciples. We saw him explaining things that the disciples don't see. He said, hear who has an ear, let him hear. And then there was a blind man account. And it was used as a metaphor for spiritual blindness that Jesus can make people see. And then we've been studying Jesus and his disciples specifically learning to become servants. And now we're about to enter a new section. And so therefore Mark has another blind man account. And so you would say, why is it sitting here? Well, one is because of the way the Markian account is put together. But two, Mark wants us to focus on what happened there that day. So let's see. The blind man sitting outside, Bartimaeus, he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming. And he began to cry out as he drew near. And he yelled, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. Knock it off, quiet, stop it, stop yelling. And before you beat up on the disciples for saying stop yelling, remember that people who were demonically possessed would come up and scream out his names? So, so they might be thinking this kind of thing's going on, like not enough, enough. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he cries out. And they told him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Never underestimate someone who has absolutely nothing to lose. What's gonna happen? I'm just gonna sit here? I'm crying out again. And he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we know Jesus is walking at a pace that even amazes disciples. And we've got this, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, stop talking. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. Whenever he does that, we all stop. And he says to his disciples, Call him. Call, call him? 
call him. Go, go get him and call, call him. Why, what? This made an impression. Because in the other two accounts that harmonize with this one, son of David, son of David, son of David, continues to come up. In Luke, son of David, have mercy. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy. In Matthew, son of David, have mercy. And, da- and, and he continued, son of David, have mercy. In fact, Matthew says there was another beggar with him. There were two yelling at this time, but Mark's focus is on Bartimaeus and this cry, son of David, son of David. Are you impressed by the theology of Bartimaeus? Son of David. Some of you are going, I, I thought his name was son of God. See, this is where I get messed up. I come to church. I start singing. Y'all start singing about blood. I don't even know why there's so much blood in the church. Blood cleansed me. You hear different things. and You're like, all this Christianese, I'm having trouble keeping up with it. And one minute you call him Jesus. And the other minute, son of God, son of, son of man. What is he? Son of David. And the beauty of Jesus having all these names is we learn something about his attributes all the time. So if you're a little newer to church and you're sitting there going, what's with all these names? You raise your hand and go, son of David. Wait, wait, David was a king in Israel, right? I mean, he was the boy king, killed Goliath, became this mighty king. His son was Solomon. How can Jesus be son of David? I mean, this is like a thousand years after David. And last time I checked, you don't have a baby a thousand years after you live. How is he the son of David? And so now you start understanding there's more to this. There's something spiritual here. There's something divine here. And that is exactly what's going on. Jesus being called son of David is a reference to what the Pharisees would have known during that time of a messianic promise that from the Davidic kingly line would come a savior. He would be the Messiah and he'll come from that line. And if you see in scripture, even as it's written out in genealogies, that Joseph comes from the line of David, Mary being blood, Joseph through that adoption. And then then we see Jesus being from that kingly line. In fact, Jesus walked up to the Pharisees one time and said, how come they call me son of David when David called the Messiah Lord. And the Pharisees were even baffled by this and like, because they didn't want to admit that he was the Messiah. And so we have Bartimaeus crying out a messianic title of Jesus. Therefore, he not only knew scripture, which they would have only had the Pentateuch or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that's all they were working with. And here he knew that a Messiah would come. Son of David, son of David, coming from the kingly line. And they came up to the blind man. Hey, take heart. What? Son of David, son of, take heart. He's calling you, huh? He's calling you. He wants to talk to you. And what does the blind man do? Scripture says, he jumps up basically, throws off his cloak, sprang up, came up to Jesus and and Jesus says something to him that I think everybody in this room would love. One, 
Jesus, standing in physical presence right in front of you, ask you this question, what would you ask him? Here he goes, here he goes. He says to this guy, what do you want me to do for you? From time to time, I get a chance to talk to young entrepreneurs and they'll tell me, hey, I've got a chance to pitch something. I'm really excited about it. It's like my little mini shark tank. And so I don't want to mess this up. Can I throw some of the presentation at you and like how you would do it or like what, what you would say? And you'd hear this. I say, hey, now listen, now listen. Don't walk out of that room wishing you would have said something. Go big. Shoot your shot. Okay, okay, you're gonna be nervous, all this stuff, but don't walk out those doors going, ah, man, I should have, or I said no, whatever. You get one chance in front of that, go for it. Okay, okay well, I'll, I'll go for it. Well, well, here is Bartimaeus in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Whoa, 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 do you all hear that? What do you want me to do for you? I'm getting deja vu. What, what, where, we heard him say that before. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, a couple verses back. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus. And he turned to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Oh my word, look what Mark is doing, everyone. He's not done teaching about who the greatest is. What do you want me to do for you? They said, well, we have a question. We would like to be on your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. And now we have Bartimaeus standing before Jesus and the same line comes out. Shoot your shot, go for it. I wanna be on the right or the left. Say it, blind man, do it, go for it. Say you wanna be in his kingdom. And he says, Rabbi, which can also be translated Rabboni, the same words that Mary used. Rabboni, or my Lord, Master, Lord. He is, he is in a lot of ways here claiming faith. Son of David, I know you're the Messiah, Rabboni. Let me recover my sight. Oh, he had sight and lost it. So, he knew what it was like to see, and now he can't. I mean, we met the other blind man in Mark, and he was born blind. We saw, excuse me, in other accounts, we looked at the man who was born blind. And they said, who, who sinned? His parents or him? And, and Jesus said, no, 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 neither sinned. This was so I could display my works in him. And he healed his sight. We also looked at the blind man earlier in Mark. And now, Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, he doesn't care about who's being the greatest or not. I just, I just want to see again. Have you ever gotten to a life spot in life spiritually where you've gotten so discouraged you feel like you can't see through the eyes of faith like you used to? Like when people are at church and they're all like, yeah, believe in a big Jesus. And you're like, eh, yeah, you clearly don't know my life, but I should be here and I know I should be here, so I attend. But the joy of salvation has kind of been beaten down through life circumstances and struggles, heartache. I just, can I recover my sight? And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
Imagine that. Your faith has made you well. I, I mean, I know what I would do. If I, imagine you got your sight back. I want to go see something I hadn't seen. I go take off. And so, and so Mark says, and immediately he's back with his immediately. And immediately he recovered his sight and he ran around the city. He's telling everybody. What? Scripture, maybe, maybe you're listening on podcasts. It's, it's scripture says, and he followed him on the way. Now, on, on, wait, on the way to Jerusalem? We all know what Jesus is going to do. Go live your life, man. You got your sight back. But he was far more in love with the giver than he was in the gift. And he followed him. And so I got this picture in my eye of Bartimaeus walking behind James and John who were like, okay, we're clearly not gonna ask that question again. And now the blind man sees and he follows him on the way. But the thing I wrote down in my notes, the thing that I couldn't get around is the fact that Jesus walking this pace that amazed the disciples just stops and says, call him. It got me thinking about other calls. And I was amazed looking at the text again of how he enters Jericho and leaves Jericho. And I got thinking, did anything else happen in Jericho? And you know what? Something came to my mind. In fact, I bet something comes to your mind. There was another person who was called out in Jericho. Can you remember? It's Luke 19. Scripture says he entered Jericho and was passing through. And this is just after Jesus heals the blind beggar in Luke. It says he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. Oh, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. No, no, it doesn't say it doesn't. You ever think Zacchaeus is angry in heaven sometimes? I'm sure he's fine, but the church age came after he went to glory, right? So the church age has been passing away like all my grandparents and stuff, they're up in heaven. They gotta be singing that to them, right? When they pass them, oh, there's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, all right! Church age with your little nursery rhymes. Oh, there's Noah. Who built the ark? Noah, all right! When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. And when others saw it, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Anybody in here think you're too much of a sinner for Jesus to call you? Zacchaeus stood and he said, the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have, def- if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and he had, I'll restore it 400 fold or fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came not, came, excuse me, to seek and to save the lost. Oh, the call of God. As I mentioned in the beginning, people will often say, you think this is the call of God? And I say, you gotta be careful. 
Because there's a lot of people standing under their sycamore tree, if you will, saying, is this the call of God? Is this God? I I think God's calling me to do something. Pastor Chris, I think God is calling me to buy this car. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think God wants me to have this car. And so I want to buy this car with what money? My dad's money. Oh, you gonna buy? Yeah, I'm gonna call, buy this car with my dad's money. I'm gonna drive this car. I say, I don't think that's God's will for you. What do you mean? My dad has the money, and I want to drive. It's everything I've always wanted. Come on, can't this be the call of God? And I say to him, You're ten. <laughs> You're ten. It's not even legal. The call of God will never go against the revealed word of God. And so you always have to ask yourself, college students, listen to me. Is this the call of God or is this the cry of my heart? Because there's a lot of times like I really feel burdened to write a book and I feel like I should be an author. Okay. Is that the call of God or is that the cry of your heart? I, I, I feel like I, I, I need to go somewhere and do great things for God. Okay. Is that the call of God on your life or is that the cry of your heart? Because I find nobody says, you know what? I feel like I want to suffer like crazy for God. You know what I want to do? I want to sacrifice everything, everything I got. I want to do that for God. And I would say to them, yeah, yeah, that probably actually is the call of God. See, we often want the call of God to be the cry of our heart. And so therefore, we've got to be careful to be able to decipher, is that God on the other end of the line? Or my fleshly desires, wants, and dreams, and goals? Who's on the other end of the line? Because I can promise you, I'm starting to get to the age where I can leverage experience. If you're a peer of mine, we're just right on the edge. We're still young, we're still young. But I'm getting on the edge where I've been in ministry long enough and I've lived life long enough and my children have gone through enough stages that I've gone back and been able to see the call of God on my life. And when it was clearly him, and I will tell you this, Usually it wasn't that fun. Usually it was really hard. And usually there were some very difficult circumstances that came with it. And there was always, always fear. I remember in 1999 thinking I had the job I wanted and being filled with this righteous discontentment as if to say, this is not my plan for you. No audible voice came my way. But every time I go to the Lord in prayer, every time I think through my life, it's often in the times where you're most comfortable, the calls come. And I liked where I was heading. I liked what I was doing. But I could tell the Lord was calling me towards ministry. I was pretty good at ignoring that phone. I would even say things like, well, I'm never gonna be a pastor. Why did I have to say it? Nobody else was walking around saying it. And guys, young guys, let me teach for a second. Be careful what you say you won't do. I remember 17, I will never drive a minivan. (laughs) My Honda Odyssey was one of my favorite cars. I'm not gonna be lying. Doors open, you had that middle aisle. It was great for raising kids. 
I remember telling God, I'm not staying in Percocet. When I graduate, I'm out of Percocet. I'm out of this one horse town. I'm doing big things. Be careful. Be careful. Well over 40 years in Percocet now. 1999, I remember the year it took throughout the year of me investigating and praying through it. But in 2000, I took an internship at First Baptist Church of Percocet where I grew up. Spent the next decade doing youth ministry. I remember taking Kids Club and turning it into Kids Town. I remember doing the kids' ministries on Wednesday night. I remember being a youth pastor on Sunday nights and growing a youth ministry and working with kids, bringing things about worship and aspects and preaching the word of God. But it was 2009. After a decade, and by the way, when I picked up that call to go into ministry, I also was in a vehicle that rolled over four times and my hero as a youth pastor was thrown from the vehicle, wasn't able to walk, and they said, Chris, you're up. That's often how the call of God sometimes works. In 2009, unfortunately, a moral failure hit our church, and then everyone looked to me and said, hey, you're young, but we'll get you some experience. We want you to preach. 2010, I began my preaching ministry saying to God, I'm gonna run out of sermons, God. I'm gonna run out of sermons. I mean, I got a couple years in me, God, but I'm gonna run out of sermons. 2019, we had been opened our revivals, outreach ministry. We were ministering to our community. I was feeling really good about where the church health was. I was praying about it. I have moments of intercession where we pray for the church, our leaders and everything. And there was just this, come on, no. Because every time I opened my Bible, it was like a renew verse. They that wait upon the Lord will renew our strength. God, you know what that's gonna mean. Oh my word, we're gonna go through a lot to get to where you want us to go. And I kept pushing and pushing. We accepted the call. We moved forward in what we believe God planned for this church. We took it through our filters of how we decipher whether this is God or the cries of any hearts. And we watched God work to really begin what we see as a revival. I've never seen so many people baptized and come to Jesus Christ in the last five years here at Renew Bible Church in Percocet. God is doing a mighty work and we see it, but I can tell you something I've learned. One, I've noticed a trend. About every 10 years, something comes. It's crazy. I showed that to a group of pastors one time. I said, I'm like, like nervous about 2029. They said, don't worry, we won't be here. I said, amen to that. <laughs> but we gotta know the call of God and the will of God. And we sometimes think those are separate phones. But you will find when you're walking in the will of God and you're answering the daily call of God, that phone often rings. What's the call of God? Let me give you some characteristics I learned from a story I heard when I was just a little boy. The story is found in 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim. Oh my word, Eli was blind. He couldn't see. Not only was he blind, you will see he was spiritually blind at the time. He was lying down in his own place and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So it's dark and the candles are still, still going. 
And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down. So he went and lied down. Deciphering the call of God. One thing I've noted is a characteristic in scripture. The call of God is disrupting. The call of God is disrupting. He can sometimes appear on a road to Damascus and knock your sight out. For Saul was pushing hard against the goats. But the call of God came. But the call of God is disrupting. It will command your attention. It's often some things like a car accident or something your child says or, or something you just can see is not something necessarily coming from you. It's disrupting. And by the way, can I give you a heads up in life? You will see God far more in your disruptions than you will in your plans. We make a lot of plans. Young people, you're gonna make a lot of plans. You will see God far more in your disruptions than you will your plans. God's call is disrupting Samuel. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son, lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had yet not been revealed to him. The second thing I noticed about the call of God in scripture, the call of God is resounding. It will echo and it will repeat. It'll just keep coming and coming. It won't go away. And it will come for you at times if you leave it. There was one man who was called of God. He ran down to Joppa, bought a ticket and said, take me on a boat. I don't care where. And God said, there's a whale. The call of God is disrupting. The call of God is resounding. When God's doing something in your life, it keeps coming. It keeps coming. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and he went to Eli. He said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So they set this all up. So Samuel, he went and he laid down in his place. I wrote down in my notes, the call of God is confirming. It will be clarified with each step of obedience. Pastor Chris, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, what's going on? Okay, okay, I think God is calling me to go on the mission field. I'm like, okay, well, is this the call of God or the cry of your heart? Okay, like every time we're in chapel and they talk about missions, I'm like, I should go into missions. I, I really probably ought to go to missions. Do you think God would want me to go share the gospel? I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he would want you to do that. God's call will always agree with scripture. Okay, okay, a month later you get this email. Okay, you're not gonna believe this. I said something to my professor and he said, I totally believe that you would be a great, great person in that specific mission field. Do you think it's God? I'm like, well, do you trust that professor prays about things? Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think it's God? I mean, I think you gotta definitely investigate this. Okay, what, what do you think I should do next? Why, why don't you just reach out to someone who might be taking a trip to that place? Okay, I'll reach out. Get an email back the next week. Um, uh, okay, um, listen to this. What? All right, I reached out and they said they would pay for my trip. They've been praying for a young girl to call. Do you think it's God? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Doubt it. God's will 
is confirming. Samuel lay there till the morning. Excuse me, I jumped ahead. And the call came. And Eli's perceived it was the Lord calling. And the Lord came and stood, calling his other time, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And this young boy listened to this. Behold, Samuel, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel laid there till morning. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. The call of God is commanding. You will find it will demand surrender and sacrifice and often counting the cost of the difficulty that lies ahead. God told Samuel that because of Eli's sons committing sexual sins in the temple, as well as sacrilegious activity in the temple, that he left knowing they were doing it and said nothing that he was going to punish him. He told Samuel. And so Samuel is living with this information. What a difficult call on a young boy. And Samuel, scripture says, was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, I am here. What is it that the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you so much more. Also, if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Eli, repent. When you repent, God relents. But no, he just said, "Ah, let it be. This life of enablement continued. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. The fifth thing, the call of God is empowering. With each step of obedience, you will see him strengthen as you depend on him. And God used Samuel so much so that when Samuel grew to be an old man, he was a prophet in Israel and God called him to go anoint a king. And so Samuel, listening to another call of God, went to a man named Jesse and he said, do you have any sons? And Jesse said, I got sons. And he lined up the sons. And he said, is there another son? He goes, he's up on the hill and he called him down and Samuel anointed David from whom the messianic line would come and one, one day would be called the son of David who would pay for the sins of the world. The call of God. Everybody wants it. Everybody would long to have it. But note the characteristics what can I do in the meantime? Answer the call that is there for you daily. What's that? The will of God. 
When we look at the call of God as the will of God, we live in this state of standstill, paralyzed by analysis, going, is this God? Should I do this? What should I do? God's will has been given to you already by the revealed scripture. There is no need to hunt for it as in the time of the Old Testament. He has given you his will. He, in fact, he has given you everything you need for life and godliness right here. There is no need to go hunt for it. There is no need to exploit it as if it's something that arrives over other people. The will of God is given to us. Who gave it to us? By a man who was called by God on the road to Damascus. Jesus stood in front of him and said, Saul, Saul, how long will you persecute me? You see, there's some people that fight against God because they know God's calling them almost. I wonder how much Saul studied the scriptures to defend it, to defeat it, excuse me, to even kill Christians. Anger at religiosity. When I see people angry at things like that, I often wonder, I wonder if God's working on their heart to come to salvation and they are just putting up a fight. What a horrible life to live. And that's why God says to Saul, how long will you kick against the goats? And he blinds him. Spiritual blindness, but physical blindness. Saul would later become Paul, accept the call of God and walk in the will of God. And he told us in scripture by given by the divine authority of God, Paul would give us the will of God. And it's actually relatively simple to know. People pay big money to have people invest in their life saying, I know the will of God for you. I do know the will of God for you and I can give it to you all today, free of charge, free of charge. It's right here on my wrist. Rapata. You say, oh, you're going to Rapata. Well, it's Thanksgiving. And it's part of our dynamics here at Renew Bible to be a church that Rapata What's Rapata? Rapata is the will of God. It's found in 1 Thessalonians. Scripture says this, rejoice, Paul writes, always. I looked that up in the Greek. You know what always means in the Greek? Always means always. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. So, rapata, rejoice always. Pray always. Thank always. How are we doing? How are you doing right now in those areas? Give thanks always, rejoice always, pray always. Why, why, why is it so important? Why are you putting out such a voice, a little, little acronym, why, why, right, right, right for this next line? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What's the will of God for me? Okay, hold on, hold on, I'll try again. Rejoice always. You mean, even in difficulty? Yeah, well then, I would have to know that God's doing something even in my difficult times, yep. That would mean when I'm called even to surrender something that God is telling me way to go down the greatness ladder. That's my girl. That's my guy. Pray without ceasing. Depend totally on me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. So pray always. Yeah, pray always. That's the will of God for me today. Yeah, I, I don't need to wait for a big call or like, or, or the editor's gonna call or, or this person's gonna, no, 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 no. How about today? Rejoice always. Pray about everything you're going through. 
and give thanks in whatever circumstance. That's my will for you. Oh, that doesn't sound, sound so, so bad. No, no, that's my will for you. Because when you can learn to do that, oh, you can be entrusted with a lot of different calls. But sadly, so many of us, and we do this sometimes because guess what? Life is hard. Life is difficult. And life sometimes really, let's be frank, it stinks sometimes. And we fall into a trap that the devil wants us. And this is not First Thessalonians. No screenshots. I'm just going to show you another one. I call it dot. No docadas. Discouraged always. Complain always. And be discontent always. That's not the will of God for you. And how easy is that to do right now? How easy is that to do in your life? Scripture doesn't say be discouraged always. Complain without ceasing. Some of you are going, now that's my Bible. Be discontent in all circumstances, for that's not the will of God for you. Yet we sit there going, God, why don't I get a big call in my life? And we can't even do the will of God for us that is clearly given to us in Scripture. Let's take that screen off. Which phone is God asking you to pick up right now? Which one's ringing? Has it been difficult for you to rejoice? Has it been difficult for you to pray? Has it been difficult for you to thank? When those phones ring, on the other side of rejoice always, there's often surrender. On the other side of pray always, there's often a challenge that's going to demand you sacrifice. And on the other side of that line, thank always, there's probably going to be some very difficult circumstances that you've got to go through. But when you're willing to answer those calls, look out. He may just trust you with another call. But don't confuse waiting for the call of God to not be living in the will of God. In your dorm room right now, rejoice. At the senior saint's home down the street, Thank always. With that current disease that you're battling, pray without ceasing. Why? For that's my will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know the will of God? Rapata. Do you want to know the call of God? Investigate the scriptures. It will never disagree with what's been revealed and it will always lead you to something that only you can do with his strength. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of Mark. We have loved this series as a church, Lord. We are so inspired by the way he put it together. We are stirred up to love and good works as we, as we hear about the Jesus of scripture. Oh, how he loves. Oh, how he cares. But oh, how he is determined to die on the cross for our sin. Oh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who we read about in the pages of the gospel of Mark, that whoever in this room believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe today, someone is sensing the call of God to come to salvation. Scripture's so clear. 
If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died, he rose again, you will be saved. And so Lord, I pray even today that a phone's been ringing in someone's heart. And it's our heavenly father going, I wanna call. I'm calling you and I want you to answer. Lord, I pray that we would say, here am I, send me. Thank you, Lord, for the pages of scripture to teach us and to guide us on this very difficult journey at times, the journey to greatness, surrender, sacrifice, and at times even suffering. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.